Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode here of the podcast. Matt with you on a week. It's been an up and down roller coaster of a week, and it was a lot of fun for me to be able to get away, spend some time with a good buddy of mine, Hollywood Yates. If you don't know Hollywood Yates, it can best be said that he is always the most famous guy in the room. Why do I say that? Well, I didn't say that. Big Vinny said that. So if you didn't listen to the Big Vinny podcast, go back and make sure you check that out uh, because it's true. Hollywood Yates is always the most famous guy in the room. Uh, he was Wolf on American Gladiators. He's been on the Disney Channel. He's been in movies. Uh, he was a bullfighter, still is a bullfighter. Um, he's a rodeo entertainer. He is a musician, a singer, songwriter. I mean, the guy has literally done everything. He might be... Uh, a pretty good cast for the most interesting man in the world. I can say this. This podcast is brought to you by my friends at Mountain Ops because it was Mountain Ops Yeti pre-workout that got me through a couple of days with Hollywood out in Arizona. Obviously, the PBR there for uh, the Glendale, Arizona event. Got to spend a couple of days with Hollywood, going to the gym, hitting the gym, and man, not just Wolf as a name, but this guy is a beast. Uh, so... But he's also a very kind-hearted, good human, and just a lot of fun. So much talent, uh, so much character, so much charisma. You're going to understand why he's always the most famous guy in the room. You're also going to hear a really, really funny story about a night he and I had in Nashville with a couple of uh, other interesting characters. So I'm going to get to it. Um, short little intro this week. Hope everybody's had a good one. Speaking of Arizona, Glendale, Arizona, Joao Ricardo Vieta. Won the event there, so uh, congrats to a Team Cooper Tires Cowboy. There's a lot going on in the world of Western sports, but there's a lot going on in the life of Hollywood Yates. So without further ado, here's my conversation with the man, the myth, the wolf, Hollywood Yates. Ow! Yeah, so anyways... All that stuff got stolen. I didn't. I didn't know you didn't realize because that was the whole reason I wanted to do this in Vegas, right. and I had all I had these high dollar microphones set up, and I take them over to the show at the Las Vegas Convention Center. I set them down. I go walk around for about an hour, and I come back, and all my stuff's gone. Everything's gone. So I freaked out, and that's why we ended up not doing this in Vegas. I was wondering. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> because we had it planned out, and it, and it just yeah, you know. Oh, well, we're doing it now. There we go. Metaphor for the day. Even when a red light is where you are, look at the green light in front of you. Look at the green light in front of I, you, man. I, I thought you going. were going to get us killed. Well, I, you know, I just, I have places to go. And, and, and let's I be see, honest, we were talking about strip clubs. Yeah, we were talking about strip clubs. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, I, uh, you know, I don't believe in rules in life. I believe you just go, man. <laughs> it's, it, it's so true because. Like what we were talking about earlier, you know, yeah, you might have a great job, but if you're not happy, who cares? Something's going to happen. And yeah, it, you know, there, there's no reason, there's no reason in life to be unhappy, you know, and it, it, money doesn't mean anything. Things don't mean anything. Property, you know, it's when I was at my heyday making the most money in the world. Well, no, I, I got to take that back. I was happy because, <laughs> but but it's because I was doing a job that I loved. I shoot, I went to a playground and I beat people up. They say money can't buy you happiness, 
but it can buy you a lot of really fun shit. Well, and it's like my mom and I always talk about, you know, because she, she she plays the lottery every week. You know, I'll, really? I'll play it here and there, but she plays it every week. And, uh, you know, she one time she goes, you know, they say money can't buy you happiness. She goes, which I believe she goes, but I'm a pretty happy person. So just think about how much happier yeah. I could be if I had all that money. I tell you, you I play, I play, the, I only play the lottery when it's like, you know, whatever, 500 million, yeah. five, 600 million. Yeah, I don't, I don't mess around. I don't mess around with the two, three, five, well, I mean, you think about million. the taxes. I, mean, I don't want to have right? the taxes on I don't, yeah, like what? I'm going to have a couple hundred thousand, you know, after taxes. What's that going to do for me? It. Yeah. Nah, it ain't worth it. That's, that's a. <laughs> I've got that in my mattress. Ric Flair has that in shoes. Yeah. In his closet. Oh, yeah. Uh, just got to work out in. You're a beast. Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. I'm I am not even half the beast that I used to be. So okay. I feel like a just a punk. Can I can I can we even talk about how old you are? Yeah, well, I, shoot, man. I'm 48. I'll be 49 here in like I don't know a month. And when people see you, whether it's at the gym or on Instagram or whatever, like you're in better shape than than people half our age. It, it's ridiculous. Like, but but your work ethic is. Man, I, uh, I've been a professional athlete my whole life, you know, and I've been, well, I've been an entertainer my whole life. I started at seven years old being an entertainer and, you know, but I played every sport there was, you know, that. What were you doing at, at seven? At seven, I was an Elvis impersonator. Wait, what? Yeah, I was an Elvis impersonator at seven years old and my grandfather had nightclubs. So I was, you know, I was doing Elvis at like talent shows around here in Phoenix and, then I would fly to, you know, New Mexico and, you know, sing in my grandfather's clubs. And then when he moved to Oklahoma, you know, I was singing out in Oklahoma at his club. And I, like, in Oklahoma, I was 14 years old and I would get up and I would work with the horses all day because I was being trained to be a jockey. And uh, I would work with his horses and do stuff all day long, clean stalls, you know, do the work. Then I would go shower. I'd go over to the restaurant and I'd start bussing tables at you know, five o'clock in the evening after I had fed all the horses. And then at the end of the night at 10 o'clock, I would go over to the bar and one of the waitresses, the cocktail waitress, or well, she was a waitress, but she, she and I would go over to the bar that was, you know, attached and we would put on records because they didn't have karaoke back then. And we would sing over the records from 10 o'clock at night to 12 o'clock at night. And then her and I would, you know, go drive down the road and hang out in the middle of nowhere for a while just her and i so big badass american gladiator yeah. was a seven-year-old elvis elvis impersonator. impersonator and let's not let this go under the rug was training to be a jockey yep how how big were you um my freshman year of high school i was five foot tall and about 85 90 pounds Jeez. my sophomore year i had uh gone to five two and was maybe a buck oh five big growth spurt you know, and then uh, yeah and then i had the big growth spurt you know to five six my junior year and then i think by my senior year i might have been five ten but i was still only like a 125 135 pounds really and uh it was after high school that i grew to six four and uh i've shrunk since then but uh you know and then i was still i was my first year to the national finals rodeo, I was 23 years old. I weighed a buck 65 at 6'4. And uh, I got the video back and was like, holy crap, am I that skinny? Yeah. 
And, you know, I had an athletic build. I mean, I had, you know, a, you know, V taper and, you know, but I was just skinny and my legs were skinny and they're still skinny. But, um, so I, uh, leg day. Leg yeah, day. leg day, like you said, man, I, I hit them three get, times a year. <laughs> I, get, I try to get them every quarter, yeah, like once every you know, three months. Every three. Okay. So maybe I should work them, you know, four times, maybe a year. four yeah. times a year. Yeah. All right. But, um, you know, so, uh, you know, it wasn't until I was 30 and decided to be a professional wrestler that I decided, well, I went from, you know, about 165 up to about 185 uh, when I was 23 and had, you know, a little bit more athletic ability. And I wasn't getting bone bruises every time I got hit by a bull at that yeah. point, you know, so it was better to have some muscle on me. And then uh, when I turned 30, we moved back to Arizona and I decided I was going to become a professional wrestler. And uh, okay, I did that when I was like five, but yeah. it never really, it never came to fruition for me. But I, I feel like, I feel like you had every kid's dream came true in your life because when I was a kid, Halloween, rodeo clown, right? Every day of my life, pro wrestler, like, and then I would stand in front of like the TV antenna with a plunger or. Right. Or a broom or whatever, and play guitar, and I was George Strait. You've literally, you've had all of my dreams come true. I hate you. <laughs> well, you know, um, I, I mean, I, I'm blessed. You know, I, I'm blessed. I, we're all blessed, plain and Absolutely. simple. We're all blessed. We just have to find the blessings in yeah. life. And um, you know, but yeah, I, I've been very fortunate that I've, I've, you know, I, I always say God blessed me and cursed me with so many athletic abilities and so many abilities that I. You know, never focused on one. So, like, I didn't become Michael Jordan in basketball. I didn't become, you know, Gonzo in baseball or Ken Griffey Jr. Or, you know, I, you know, like I, I never became that guy. You know, the, you know, but I became, you know, in, in rodeo when I first started rodeo, and they were like, oh, "You're never gonna make it, man." I, you know, I had a lot of athletic ability, but I didn't understand the job of saving cowboys, and I didn't really know how to freestyle bulls and you know so it it really took me a lot to figure it out and but i figured it out and i went to the national finals twice in the bullfights and you know finished i think the best i finished was third or fourth in the world i you know i'm kind of like well you didn't finish first so you're last so right. it doesn't matter you know but uh and then i went back in in the barrel and uh for the bullfights and you know it it <laughs> If I had focused on one thing, I might have been the greatest yeah. in the world at it. Yeah. But I had a great career, and I still have a great career in rodeo. I still rodeo and do stuff. But then I was able to, you know, transition over to wrestling. I was able to trans over tra transition over into acting, and then you know, my singing is where I started, and so now I'm back to singing, and it's building, not building right. as fast as I would like, but right. you know, they always say that the best things take a while. Well, it's funny because you say that, you know, you could have been the greatest. And for some people, like, that's what their life's all about. Michael Jordan obviously wanted to be the greatest basketball player in the world. But even the greatest basketball player in the world, we saw, man, there was a little bit of him that wanted to play baseball. Right. Uh, and I feel like, you know, excuse me, as, as good as George Strait is at what he does, right. there's part of him that wishes he was a professional golfer. Or, you know, I mean, they all have that. But, like... <clears throat> You got to be successful in a right. lot of different entities. Well, and we know George likes to rope. 
Yeah. You know, so yeah. you know he probably wishes that he had Guaranteed. made the national finals in the team roping. Casey Donahue. You know? Casey Donahue, yeah. you know, is making making the rounds all over the country singing music, but loves to go rope. Right. I think that's awesome yeah. that, that you actually got to do so many different things. Yeah. Well, you know, I've my grandfather, my mom, I mean, honestly, my whole family, we're all... We're all kind of dreamers. We're all kind of, we have the odd jobs, you know, like my mom, she's a realtor, um, but she, you know, she started, uh, her and Gilbert Ortega were dating, you know, after my mom and dad got divorced, we lived in Gallup, New Mexico, and her and Gilbert started dating. They moved here and started the Gilbert Ortega chain basically here, and uh, they had one store. And then they broke up, but they stayed business partners. And then she finally was like, I can't even be your business partner, you know, not and be your friend. So she got in and he built his empire, you know, and owns half of Scottsdale and, you know, or owned half Scottsdale. Now uh, his kids do. But, um, you know, so she did that. Then she went to work and, you know, became vice president of Bank of America at one point. This is a woman with no college education. She I mean, I think the only time she ever went to a college might have been to you know get a drink of water because she was close by and needed to right. use a bathroom or something i don't know but i mean you know but she did that and it's because she's confident in herself and she knows what she wants so she's always done that but she's been a realtor my whole life my grandfather was kind of a honestly he was a hustler he's kind of a gangster you know i mean he owned nightclubs my whole life and racehorses and he built uh, he kind of helped build Gallup. You know, he he just would find deals, and he would connect people, and he would just take his percentage, and he yeah, would make things. Yeah, completely his, sounds gangster as hell. Yeah, and his his bars always had a back room. Or, like, he had one bar in New Mexico that it, it called the Country Palace, and it was, you know, just known. And they would have fights, you know, on Friday night fights, and they would put a ring in there. And then they would have, you know, I mean, like, he had always had something going on, but then he also had a gambling casino in his pool he had a indoor pool at his house you know so everywhere he always had he always had these backroom deals that you had to have the password to get in and you know and you know but that man was a you know millionaire three four times you know and he would lose it all too you know and that's that's one of the things you know that kind of taught me everything is it doesn't matter you know, you can lose everything. And he would live on a can of beans a month, you know, like get one of them big industrial-sized cans of beans, and he, that's all he would eat for a month and just be scraping by. High risk, high reward. And then, yeah, and then he would borrow $1,000 from somebody. He'd go buy a $700 suit, and he'd go buy somebody a $300 meal, and 10 months later, he'd be a millionaire. You know, it's like he just knew how to hustle, and he knew how to make things happen. And so growing up like that, I always knew that you want something, just go get it. You know, and I had the greatest mom in the world, you know, that, I mean, you know, she wasn't dumb about things. Like if I said, I'm, I, I can fly like Superman, you know, she wouldn't go, no, you can't. She would go, okay, but instead of jumping off the two-story building, go jump off the first step and see how far you can fly. And then once you can fly five feet, then go to the second step and see if you can fly ten. And, you know, she never told me I couldn't fly. Yeah. She just told me, work at it. Find, yeah. find out how to fly. Ease into it. Yeah. So greatest mom in the world, you know, and it was her support and, you know, and the things that she had accomplished and the things that my grandfather accomplished that made me go, I can do anything I want. 
There's no limits. There's so many similarities because now you've got me thinking as an adult, a little over a year ago, well, a couple of years ago, I decided I wanted to open the gym and my parents never really told me don't do it, right. but I could see in their eyes that they thought I was a complete idiot. <laughs> and the day that I went to buy the building, my dad tells the story now that, you know, when they saw the building that I bought, my dad thought I had lost my mind. He said, right. what are you doing? But now they see it and it's like kind of what we were talking about on the way home from the gym. It's like, you know what? I got a chance and I'm, I'm going to do it. And if it doesn't work, something else will. Something else will. Something else will. I feel like that's been kind of how you've done everything because you've, you know, the singing, the gladiator stuff, the acting, like you've been involved in so, so much. What was your first love? My first love was singing. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, like I said, I, I started singing, you know, doing Elvis and then it just kind of branched off from there. Did, you know, singing, you know, I listened to country music, you know, most of my life. So, you know, I do Kenny Rogers and, you know, Mickey Gilly and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, you know, you know what they say, the girls all get prettier at closing time. That's right. And there's a clown <laughs> act I'm working on with that. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, you know, it's. It's one of those deals that, like, that that was my first love. I mean, that in sports, you know, I mean, just because I was always an athletic kid. What sport? Uh, I played everything. I played yeah. baseball. I, I was chosen to play on the United States Little League team against Japan in the Little League World Series really? over in Japan when I was nine. What would you play? Um, I, I thought I was the greatest pitcher in the world. And when <laughs> I went back and saw my old coaches, you know, later in life and – all the kids were going, well, who are you? I'm like, I'm Hollywood Yates, man. I'm best pitcher this league's ever seen. And they looked at the coach and they go, really? And they go, no. And they go, he was the best shortstop that yeah. you've ever seen. And they go, and I don't know why he's not a pro shortstop, you know, now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I played everything on the field, you know, because I, did, I just wanted to. So, like, I played first, I played second, I played. But, yeah, shortstop. You know, like I said, I thought I was the greatest pitcher in the world, but I wasn't. You know, I mean, I was a good pitcher, but uh, shortstop, you couldn't get a ball by me. Really? Yeah. And you were small. I was small. I yeah. just was fast. And, um, you know, and then I played football. I played basketball. Even short, I, you know, I man, I developed a sky hook. Really? Like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, man. So you played like a big guy. Yeah. It's funny because I was always about 5'10". I mean, about like I am now, 5'11". You know, I, I was always 5'10", 5'11", somewhere in there, but... I always had to play big. Yeah. I always had to play the guys that were your size. I always thought I was big. Yeah. You know, it's like, <clears throat> you know, I was trained to be a jockey. You know, I mean, like my, you know, my grandfather wanted me to be a jockey. And then when I was doing football, he just thought, nah, I'd be a kicker, you know. And I'm, I'm like, I don't want to be, I'm a quarterback, you know. And he's like, you're not a quarterback. You're too short to be a quarterback. I'm like, I, I can run back far enough to see over the line, you know. And, and I did. And I could throw a ball, you know. But, um I just, I forgot where I was going with that. <laughs> but, it doesn't uh, matter. I'm not a kicker. Yeah. I'm a quarterback. But it, yeah, but it's great. like, you know, it's like I, I just, I always thought I was bigger than I was, you know, and, and I kept telling my mom and all of them, I'm like, I'm going to grow. I'm going to be tall. And they're like, no, you're not. And they're like, you're going to be short. You're going to be a jockey. You're going to be short. You're going to be, and I'm like, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to be tall. I'm going to be way over six foot. And uh, I think I willed it, you know, it's like, uh, you know, but I knew I knew that somewhere down the line in my family, I had two twin uncles, like great great uncles or something that were like seven foot four. Wow. You know, so I'm like going, well, I'm sure I got their genes, so I'm going to grow, you know, and I didn't grow till after high school. But I always thought I was bigger than I was. I mean, when I was in first grade, I was beating up sixth graders. 
you know, and I, maybe that was short man complex or, you know, whatever at the time. But I, like if you were standing across the road from me and squinting because of the sun, I thought you were looking bad at me. So I'd run over and knock you on your ass, you That's know, so and funny because, I was just a brawler. Yeah, like but like you have this attitude and what you said about, you know, I'm not a kicker. I'm a quarterback. Uh, always thought you were bigger than than you were. It kind of reminds me of what we were just talking about, about, you know, Big Vinny. Yep. Big Vinny made the comment, you know, no matter where you're at, Hollywood's the most famous guy in the room. You have a presence about you. I feel like you've probably had that your whole life. Like, there's just a presence about you that uh, it, it's it's two things. One, it's intimidating as hell. But two, and I don't know if this even makes sense, it's inviting as hell, too. Like, like you, you just have a personality. I don't know how to explain it. Like, you, you're intimidating, but people want to be around you. Well, and, uh, yeah, you know, and I mean, you say you, you say that I've probably had it my whole, and I have had it my whole life, and and I don't mean you know say that to be cocky or arrogant, and you know, and I know there's going to be some people out there that listen to this and go, God, he's a cocky, arrogant, no, I mean, you know. It's a but the thing, thing is, is, you know, I don't I don't worry and I don't stress myself about what other people think because you know I heard a saying one time that your opinion of me is not any of my business. Yeah. Exactly. You know. And so and I've never cared. I you know, I mean, yeah, I want everybody to love me. I want everybody to think I'm a cool guy. I, you know, I mean, I wanted to be Elvis. I wanted to be the Fonz, you know, like I I want to be the guy that every girl wants and the guy that every guy wants to be, you know, I mean, and if you're not if you don't want to be that person, I don't know what's wrong with you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't get it. so but I don't I don't think I'm better than anybody at and I say this, I don't think I'm better than anybody. But I'm better than a lot of people, you know. I'm, and and I don't mean in like I'm better than you, but I believe better. I I work harder. I work, you know, smarter. I try to help people. You know, like my whole thing in life is about helping others to succeed. I have probably jeopardized my career in rodeo a little bit by helping other bullfighters rise. And probably lost some jobs to them because I helped them get good at what they do. But that's what you're supposed to do in life. You're supposed to help everybody be happy and to be better. You're supposed to. But you're people don't to. understand that. You know, what I don't understand, uh, how many athletes get wasted because people don't have the confidence to, like you say, you know, I'm better than you. Okay, do it. Right. There's so many people that get kind of pushed to the side just because they don't have the confidence to go forward with something. Singers. Yeah, I, I know so many people that can sing. Oh, my God. So talented, but they're scared to get on stage because right. they don't believe in themselves. Well, and you and I both know. I mean, you and I both spent time in Nashville together and separately. And when I first decided to get back into music after my TV show got canceled, I wa- went out to Nashville because, well, I'm going to be Garth Brooks. I'm going to be Elvis. I'm gonna, Hell, I'm going to be bigger than Garth Brooks. Watch this, guys. And I went out there and I walked into, you know, eight bars that night and went, holy shit. Yeah. If this guy doesn't have a record deal, how am I going to get a it's record humbling, deal? Isn't you know? it? And then and then Montgomery Gentry lost their record deal the next week. Reba lost her record deal the next week. And I'm going, wait a second. How are these people that are icons in the business losing record deals? And I think I'm going to come in here. Right. And it, yeah, it was intimidating and humbling. And I, you know, and I. And I was also trying to be humble, you know, because a lot of people, you know, I had this hit television show. I didn't want people to think that I thought I was better than anybody or that I was this or that. And I humbled myself for the next probably three to four years where I 
you know, I would play down everything that I was doing. And it, people would come up and they would go, man, you're, you know, you got the TV show, you're doing this, you're doing that, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, you know, I, I got lucky. I, you know, I was in the right place, right time. And I, and I tried to be real humble about it. And I lost that thing that you saw. I, I lost that thing that when I walked into a room, everybody went, holy shit, who's that? We need to meet him. We need to know him. We need to deal with him. I lost that because I humbled myself and I made myself try to be the every guy like everybody else. And I lost a lot of money because of that. I lost out on a lot of deals because of that. And it took me a while and I went through a depression and I went, you know, and I don't even know if my wife really, you know, realized the depression that I went through, you know, with losing that. And I had to finally talk to myself in the mirror and look at myself in the mirror and go, what the hell happened to you? Like you were Hollywood Yates long before you had a TV show, long before you were at the NFR, you know, fighting bulls, you know, as one of the best in the business, you were something your entire life. What happened to you? Why are you average now? Why are you like everybody else? And, and not to say everybody, you know, that there's something wrong with everybody else, but that's not my station in life. And so I had to talk myself back into being Hollywood again. But do you think it was listening to what other people say? Because to your point, that it factor, you know, I mean, that's what they always say in pro wrestling factor that or pro wrestling. That guy has it or that girl has it. Right. You had it your whole life. Right. Then you get that success that everybody sees. You know, everybody sees you on TV as an American gladiator. And then you walk in a room. Now, all of a sudden, not not only does it everybody, you know, want to know who that is. Now they know who that is. Right. But we also live in a world where people are going to say, well, look at that guy. He thinks he's somebody. Right. And there's part of us that doesn't want that. Right. But the part of us that says who cares should always trump that part that says right. that. You know, I mean, right. in my opinion, if, right. if successful people right. need to kind of push that one to the back, I think. Yeah, you do. You do. And, and you know, and that's the thing that, like, I go talk to kids, you know, and, and do motivational speaking deals here and there. And I uh, would love to do it more, you know. Um, and one of the things, you know, every, everybody goes in and does anti-bullying speeches. And I... Yeah, it would be a great world if there were no bullies, but I, that ain't going to happen. Can it, I just be honest? Yeah, be because honest. Because I got asked to go do some anti-bullying stuff here not too long ago, and, and and I appreciate the concept, but bullying builds character. It does. We all get bullied. Right. Handle it. Right. Deal with it. Right. Overcome it, and just say, I don't have to deal with that shit. I'm right. better than that. Like... We don't live in a perfect yeah. world full of rainbows and butterflies. Well, exactly, and that's you know one of the first you know speeches that I did. My my old high school asked me to come back and speak after I got the TV show, and I was like, absolutely. And I came in and I said, look, I said, uh, I know y'all get you know the Dare program come in here about drugs. I know you get the people that come in here about anti-bullying and this and that. And I go, you know, I'm not going to talk to you about any of that really, you know, to any extent. I said because bullies are going to happen. I mean, if there's somebody in, I, I, let's get it out of the way. Don't bully. All right? right. Everybody, don't bully. You're not supposed to. Don't, don't be a bad guy. Don't be a little dickhead. Don't bully. Okay, now that that's over, to the rest of you, 
you're always going to have to deal with bullies. I don't care where you are in life, what happens to you in life, you're going to deal with bullies. Use it. Use it to build your character. Use it to make yourself tougher. Use it. Because I will tell you this, I was bullied, you know, like... In high school, I, I tried to get by as cool and, you know, I tried to not be the bully. I tried not to be the, you know, little dickhead that I was when I was in grade school running over, beating people up because they looked at me wrong. I tried to just, you know, get through high school and be the guy that everybody liked. You know, I partied my ass off, which was probably stupid, you know, because I but didn't. Fun. Yeah, but it was fun. I had a great time. Um, but, you know, I had a lot of people that bullied me and looked down at me or talked, you know, poorly to me. I wasn't one of the jocks. I was an athlete, but I wasn't one of the jocks. I didn't do drugs. I was friends with the stoners, but I didn't do drugs. I did drink, you know, so everybody wanted to party with me. But, you know, I got bullied. And I finally stood up to a couple of them, slammed them up against lockers and said, we're not going to go this route because you're not going to like what's going to happen if we do. You know, I know some people can't do that. You know, I knew I could, but so I didn't. But my 10-year reunion... I couldn't be there for the whole weekend, you know, for my 10-year high school reunion. So I showed up the first night, did the kind of, you know, a little dinner, cocktail party deal. I drove up in a nice Corvette that my new girlfriend, who is now my wife, had, you know, it was hers. So I would pull up in this Nobody nice, else needed to know that. Yeah, yeah, nice Corvette with this hot redhead with a great banging body just one of the most beautiful women you've ever seen probably the most beautiful woman you've ever seen and uh i roll in and i'm you know now not the five foot ten hundred and thirty five pound guy i'm the at the time i see i would have been probably close to six four and i was about 175 185 pounds you know had some good muscle on me and uh, I was on TV almost every week on ASPN, uh, which was a station that and we were doing the Bull Riders Onlys, which was the precursor to the PBR. Um, and so all the, all the football jocks, all the, you know, all the people that had bullied me were seeing me on TV all the time. They were, you know, they see me walk in with this hot girl with a Corvette. My body's better than it was in high school. You know, I'm looking better. And they're looking worse, and they're already getting fat, and they're, you know, miserable with their wives. And, you know, like, and I was like, that was the best revenge I could have ever gotten. Dude, I'm was so... Was living a better life. I'm so jealous that I didn't, like, I didn't even get to go to my 10-year reunion. No, and, <clears throat> sorry, the, the, the nervous coughs. We, we talk about <laughs> it, I, I don't go, I don't cough all day till we start recording something, and then all of a sudden it's, <clears throat> constantly. But my 10-year reunion, they they... You know, my classmates, they all set this deal up, and they actually had it in a bar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everybody just met up for a bar. And I didn't get to walk in and be the cool guy 10 years later. No, No, I I was busy working in Australia. So I sent them a, hey, sorry, can't make it. I'm in Australia, but I hope you guys have a good weekend. Oh, yeah. Uh, But that's 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 a a great revenge. It's a win. That's a huge win. But, you know, I didn't get get bullied a lot in high school. Um uh, a lot. Uh, there's people that just talk shit all the time. Well, yeah. uh, they do that as adults. Yeah. I, I got to go back and speak at my high school, yeah. you know, uh, last year actually, and it was funny because I told this story that, and it was a true story. Somebody said something about, you know, hey, I see your shirt or that key. 
what's that gym? They said, oh, you know, Matt West owns that gym, you know, just open it up here in town, whatever. I said, I went to school with a kid named Matt West, but couldn't be him because he was, he was kind of a chubby kid and he was kind of a douche. So it, it wouldn't have been him. Right. So that night I tell that story in front of this graduating class. I said, you know, I, this happened this week, right. literally this week. And oh, by the way, um, it is my gym, and uh, we're open for business. So whoever said that, if you want to come check us out, right. feel free. It's like win, revenge. Yeah. Just, just oh, keep, yeah. you know. Well, and in my 20-year reunion, uh, I couldn't make my 20-year reunion. Son of a bitch. How old are you? I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm old. So my 20-year reunion, I can't be there because uh, I was in Chicago filming a movie with Robert Carradine and Rowdy Roddy Piper. Oh. And... Uh, so I get a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning there. It's 1 o'clock here. And they're like, hey, man, where are you at? You know, the reunion and blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't be there. I'm, I'm in Chicago filming a movie with Robert Carradine and Rowdy Piper. So you all have fun, you know. Right. Win number two. We are some arrogant yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was like, but, yeah, I mean, you know, and then I went, just went to, yes, guess it, 30-year reunion the other Golly. day. And, uh, you know, and... I just, you know, I walked in and I just, and, and it was fun and it was good to see some of the people, you know, that I was friends with and still friends with a few of them. And uh, it was good to see them. And then the few guys that, you know, kind of had issues with me in high school now have more issues with me because they have miserable lives. But they're not going to say anything now. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I, I, and so no it way. was, you know, win number three. And uh, so, yeah, I, I tell these kids and I tell even adults when I go talk to, you know, like I did a deal with a couple of the guys from Biggest Loser, the uh, twins. And, you know, I told them the best the best revenge in life is to live a better life. You know, be healthy. And it doesn't know? have to be better than yeah, and it, yeah, better than yourself right. yesterday. Better than yourself yesterday. And and your better might not be better to them. You know, I mean, they might have a million dollars and, you know, this and that. And, you know, and they, so they might still look at you like. Yeah, whatever, you know, but if you're, we were talking about it when we were at the gym today, success is not measured by things and it's not measured by money. Success is measured by happiness. 100%. And if you are, and, and yeah, you're not going to be, you know, deliriously happy skipping through clovers every minute of every day of your life. But for the most part, if you are happy and you love your life and what you're doing in it, then you're successful. Well, and it's funny because we, we sound like some arrogant pricks here and like we're bragging and everything. But you know what? I'm as happy for my buddy that I grew up with and graduated with. He's an ag teacher. That I'm yeah. so happy for him oh. because he loves his life. That's what he wanted to do. Like, I'm so happy for other people yeah. that are enjoying their lives. Um, and, and to your point, it's not every day is not going to be perfect. I've had a hellacious week, but I also know that other people have had a way worse week than I have. And I woke up today with an opportunity. So yep. let's go kick today's ass and move forward. Yeah, and that's, you know, people people dwell on so many things. And, they, and, and you and I talked about this at the gym as well. You know, they compare. Yeah. You know, you, you sit there and you look at Facebook. Get off Facebook, y'all. It's not. You know, it's like not the end if, all. If be I up. wasn't using Facebook to, you know, like you, we use it as a tool to build a, the fan base and to and to let people know that hey, we're going to be in this town doing this, and we're going to, you know, come out and see us, have fun, you know, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, you know, and it, and it's not to show off. It's not, you know, you will very rarely see anything on my 
Facebook or anything about, you know, that, like about, you know, hey, I'm doing better than you. Hey, my life is, you know, the greatest thing in the world. You know, it's usually, especially Facebook, I try to use that more for motivational, you know, right. quote, you know, things. I don't quote other people for the most part right. because we get in that habit, I think, of looking at others and trying to model our lives after them. You know, everybody puts these quotes out there. You get smarter. Think for yourself. Think of your own quotes. You know, like, like read more. You know, yeah. be, become better. You know, be, like I said, better. Think. Like you said, better than you were yesterday. Not better than me. Not better than anybody. Just think. Be a better you and try to be smarter. Try to be wiser. You know. God gives us a brain and he gives us a heart. And I don't think any of us use either of those two near enough. Not enough. I really don't. Yeah, it's funny because the whole social media thing, um, and people think that I'm constantly bragging right. about my life, and it couldn't be more of the opposite. If if I'm with you in a gym, and you know I say, hey, me and Hollywood got a great workout in today, it's because I'm a fan of you. If if <clears throat> excuse me, I just I just posted a picture with Shane Proctor and Haley Gansel. Two of my closest friends are my neighbors, right. but I posted a picture with them because I'm a fan of them. Uh, when I'm at the National Western or if I'm in Chicago, I post a picture of the arena because I'm humbled. Madison right. Square Garden. I walk into Madison Square Garden every January, and I'll post a picture of it, right. not to brag that I'm right. at Madison Square Garden, but to say, holy right. shit, this kid from a town in say. middle of nowhere, Oklahoma is here and to right. show how humbled I am by my well, life. Well, not just that, but to also show others that you this kid it, from Oklahoma is at Madison Square Garden. It. You can do it. You know, it's it's not just that you did it. It's others can do it. You know, I was telling somebody the other day, um, this, this bus that we're sitting in right now, you know, we went and we've been looking for this for since 2011. So eight years we've been looking for the right thing. I'm not stupid. I'm not just going to go blow money. I'm not, you know, money's money's easy to come by, but it's hard to come by. You know, so, but we went through this little RV, you know, show. I say little RV show. It was in the Cardinal Stadium, you know, on the floor of the Cardinal Stadium. And we found it, and I took some pictures of it. You know, I, like, laid on the ground to take pictures of the front where you could kind of see the end zone red thing, you know, and all that. And the guy's kind of looking at me like, what are you doing? You know, and I go, I'm taking a picture in here of this bus in here now so that in a year or two, when I sell this place out singing, I can take another picture and go, this is where I came. And he kind of like looks at me like, you know, thinking, oh, whatever. And I go, I did that. We were in New York for my wife. She was, she's a bodybuilder, you know, a bigger competitor. And uh, she was doing a show in New York. And so we were walking around one day after, and we walked by NBC. And I go, here, get a, get a picture of me. And there, there's the door that all the stars go through. Like, mm-hmm. that's where the limos pull up, and the stars get out, and they go in to do the Today Show and uh, Saturday Night Live and all Like the back all door the of the Opry. It's the back door of the Opry, yeah. you know. And so, and it has the sign. So I stood there, took a picture. You know, like, I'm going to be here. Yeah. A year later, my limo was dropping me off to go in that door to go do the today show and then they walked me up to saturday night live to go through there and you know and it was like it's it's manifesting it's putting it out there to the god and the universe that this is what i want please help me get it 
And you got to work for it. You can't just sit on, you know, I, I didn't go home and sit on my ass on the couch yeah. and wait for it to happen. You know, I was in the gym every day working out. I was doing this. I was, you know, I was negotiating my deal with WWE when, you know, my friend called Jantana that does all the tanning for the Olympia and the Arnold and I. And she said, hey, would you come to the Olympia and help me tan some people? I'm like, yeah, sure. I got the week off. So I went out there, spray tanning all the competitors for the Olympia. I was backstage talking to Hunter, you know, and he's like, so how'd everything go? And I'm like, good. Well, I'm just waiting on the contracts. You know, Johnny's going to be sending them. I, I, you know, I'm just, I don't know what's going on, but I'm, you know, and we had a good talk. And the, the uh, American Gladiators, NBC, saw me out there and they grabbed me and I kind of kept turning them down, turning them down because I was expecting this contract from WWE and they finally were taking too long. And I went, you know what? Fine, I'll do this. And so I went with NBC. Really? Yeah. You know, and but it was it was manifesting what I wanted and then working, right. you know, to get there. And it it took a side turn like, you know, like and that's the thing. You always you always have to keep your eyes open. Don't get so laser focused on what you want that you miss out on other opportunities that might be better. And they might get you to where you want to go faster. We both hear kids that are starting in the rodeo world that. Man, I don't want to do that because I, I got my sights set on this. Let me tell you something. I had so many people tell me I would never work a PBR. I'm doing a junior bull riding a mile from my parents' house when a, a lady calls her husband and it starts the circle that becomes my first invitation to go do a PBR. Right. At a junior bull riding, kids that are you know anywhere from 3 to 17 – in outside of a town of 300 people, that's how I got my PBR gig. Right. Not and going now, and, and trying now to look book. at you. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, and now I'm the luckiest guy in the world. I get to do it every week. But all those people that said, you'll never make it, you'll never get to this point. And then now I see these kids that won't do those little things, that won't, that think they're too good for that. I made a call to a bullfighter the other day. He's a great, I'm not going to say his name on here. Oh, come he's a, on. He's a great young bullfighter <laughs> that uh, actually helped me out in Oklahoma. I, I was a barrel man for the uh, Doxa yeah. Extreme Bullfights for Shorty Gorm's deal. And, I mean, I took a beating out there, you know. I mean, I got back and I couldn't hardly move for two weeks because um, a lot of these young guys don't know how to work a barrel. They don't know how to protect you. Uh, but this kid, he didn't make it to the second round, but he dressed out the next day just to take care of me and watch my back and everything. And I thought, you know what, that's a good kid, and he's, he's a good guy. So I'm helping to put a bullfight on at a deal and uh, in Idaho, which is a long way from where the kid lives and everything. But, you know, it's the middle of summer or kind of towards the end of summer and everything. But I, uh, I call him and I say, hey, you know, we're going to do a four-man bullfight. You know, not a lot of money, but it'll pay the winner, you know, like 900 to a thousand bucks. And, you know, I'd, I'd like you to come up. And he sent back, nah, you know, I can't make any money coming up from, you know, Texas to there. And, and I'm like, and I'm doing the numbers in my head going, hell, I could go from Texas up to Idaho and back for, right, you know, 150, eh, 200, 300 bucks easy in fuel and a hotel room. And, you know, 100 to eat, you know, I could still make four or 500 bucks by winning it, you know. So it's like, and guess what? This is the first year they're having it. Next year, we're going to build it bigger. And guess what? I'm also working with a couple guys to put on a huge bullfight. And it's like, so if you're not willing to go work, 
why should I bring you to my hundred thousand dollar bullfight, my two hundred thousand dollar bullfight? You know, like like I'm I'm working on some ideas to you know have one of the largest bullfights in the world, invite you know and invite the best of the best and then invite some other guys and and it's like now do I really want to bring a guy in that wouldn't yeah take a chance and drive that doesn't do it because he loves it yeah how much money I mean I think about how much money I lost when I oh. first started. I was spending money to go to work. You know, hey, I'd pay a couple hundred bucks. Well, by the time I drove to wherever I was going, set up my own sound, bought my computer and all that stuff, plus bought a hotel room, the fuel. I was losing money to go chase this dream. I was fighting bulls six days a week. I was fighting 30 bulls to 40 bulls a night, six days a week, not getting paid. I usually had to pay a gate fee to get in and drive there and you know so like you're saying like i lost money for three years learning how to fight bulls and getting good at what i do and you know and it's like but i did it but it's that experience and it's experience and and i still look back on those days you know hell i lived in a 69 ford Fairlane for a year really i'd sleep in the back seat with my dog and i put my stuff in the trunk and then I moved up from that to a van, this dark, like brown, just turd brown van. Really? And it had a bed in, you know, a couch that turned into a bed. And so I put it into the bed. I tucked all my stuff under that. I've hung my clothes all the way around the bed. And then it had like a little pump sink, pump handle sink. And it had a little refrigerator that you'd put a block of ice in to keep everything cold. I put a TV between the driver and passenger seat, and I ran an extension cord out of it and would plug that in with a fan. And that was what I lived in for a year. And then, you know, I like I worked my way. Like, I literally lived in a car for a year. Then I lived in a van for a year. Then I got a uh, pickup truck with an overhead camper. And then from there, I had that for like two years. And then from there, I moved up. I finally got a, you know, newer truck and got a horse trailer that had, you know, living quarters. Now, the horse trailer was built in the 60s, I think, right. you know. But I lived in that for a couple of years. Like, I mean, you know, I was homeless for years, well, you know. We're sitting on a big badass bus now, buddy. I've worked. Yeah. People you know? don't get it. Yeah. People think that it's just going to happen. I get so frustrated because... You know, you talked about us being in Nashville quite a bit. You see so many people in music that think that I'm going to go into a studio, I'm going to record this album, and then I'm going to be selling out stadiums. Oh, yeah. There's so many people that have spent their whole life just traveling from one gig to the next, living in a van, you know, just so they could build a fan base. Yeah. Like, who the hell owes you anything just because you think you've got talent? Yeah. It doesn't work that way. It it doesn't. And if you want to be great at anything... It takes hard work and it takes a long time and you know and I and I get lucky like I gotta look at things and I go wow that happened overnight you know and then I then I have to look back at it and go no it started when I was seven you know like like everything that I have done started at seven years old I came down Elvis died I didn't know who the man was till that day I watched everything on TV listened to the radio I sat there and cried all day I didn't even know who the guy was. But I watched at these pil- people, like pilgrim- pilgrimaging, <laughs> however you say it. Moving in <laughs> yeah. a group. Moving in a, moving in a group <laughs> to his house. Yeah. Crying, sobbing, putting flowers on the wall. Like, and I, it, that was the moment that made me who I am. Because it's like, I saw this and I was like, wow. Yeah. For one human being, one man, to be able to affect the world like that. 
that's amazing and that is awesome and I want to be that guy and that's what started me on this road to being an entertainer and I want to when I leave this earth I want to be known as the greatest entertainer that there ever was yeah. you know I might not have been the greatest freestyle bullfighter or the greatest cowboy protector but he, but I was great you know I made it to the Super Bowl I might not be you know the biggest actor with the most Oscars, but I did great. I made, I had a number one hit television show and I was the guy on that show. I might not be, you know, Elvis Presley or Garth Brooks, you know, but I'm gonna make it. You know, I'm gonna make it and I'll be selling out something, whether it's 5,000 seat venues, 10,000 seat venues or arenas. I will make it somewhere. I've never failed. I have never failed at anything i do it might take me a while yeah but i don't fail might take me a lot of bumps in the yeah. road might take me a lot longer than i wanted yeah. it to or planned but i'm gonna get i've there. never lost a fight i've been knocked down a lot i've been punched i've had my you know like yeah. like but i don't lose yeah. yeah you lose a fight you're dead it's funny because uh vince Scully, legendary voice of the dodgers he always said you know you'll never hear me say anything bad about any of my guys and anybody that wears a uh, dodger uniform is one of my guys and to your point, I'm never going to be the best announcer. I'm never going to be in the conversation of he was the best play-by-play guy or he was the most knowledgeable at this or that. I've always, from day one, I've always said, you know, I want all of those guys to go, he freaking loved his job. He loved the guys he was with and, and the ladies that he worked with, but he loved the sport. He loved the athletes. And, and that's all. I mean, that's all that's important to me. Like, I, you know, when I'm gone, Matt Merritt said, I hate to give Matt Merritt credit for anything, but he had maybe the, the best quote so far of this podcast. He said, we're all just living to see how big our funeral can be. Uh-huh. And it's true. Oh, it I've, really is. I've planned mine out. Really? Oh, yeah. We're selling out stadium? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, seriously, you, you walk in after this podcast, you ask my wife if I have my funeral planned out, and she will tell you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it starts. It starts with Prince. Oh, you know, dearly beloved. Yeah, we are gathered today to oh. get through this thing called life, and uh, I've got strippers. I've got. I've got pyro. I, all of a sudden, I oh, really hope you die before I, I do. Well, the, the sad thing is, anybody that's alive right now will not be able to be at my funeral yeah. because I'm planning on living 200 years. Because you're better than we. You are. know, I'm better. Damn it, I'm better. <laughs> but I no, it. I did. I planned that. I planned that funeral out uh, at Brett Thurman's funeral. Really? Yep. I went to. Uh, you know, Brett was a buddy of mine, and uh, I was up there at the finals that year, just you know, hanging out and doing the business and everything. And then I had to leave a couple days early to get back down to work a rodeo here, and. Uh, you know, I had a I had an Indian kid that it was right when guys few guys started wearing the vest, right. and they offered this Indian kid a vest, and they said, "Hey, you want to wear this?" And he's like, "No, nah, why? Why would I wear a vest?" You know, and so uh, he got bucked off his bull, and when he got bucked off, the bull was in the air, and he literally rolled over the front end, hit the ground, and the bull stepped on him, and. They took him to the hospital, and the next day I came in for the Sunday perf, and I got the call that Brett was killed and died, and that hit me. And then five minutes after that, a guy walks in and goes, hey, that kid, that Indian kid last night, he didn't make it. 
and, and I know you're going through this right now, and I and I don't want to bring this up and make you you know more sad, but you know it just and it hit me, you know, and you put things so it puts things in perspective, and so so the next week, you know, I go down for Brett's funeral, and uh, I get there, and it was huge, dude. They had the they had it at the Austin Rodeo Arena, and they had the pallbearers and the honorary i was one of the honorary pallbearers they had like 50 or 75 of us honorary pallbearers so all of us were down in the arena floor and we took up almost the entire arena and everything and they brought bread in you know big procession with the pallbearers and uh carriage being drawn by you know horses and then behind them was party animal of mac altizers you know and uh and the stands were full I mean, there had to have been two, 3,000 people at this thing. And I was just like, wow, you know. And then when we left there, the funeral procession was like 10 miles down to the where they were taking him. And I think I think the first car was pulling in as the last car was pulling out of Austin. I mean, that's how – and I was like, that's cool. Yeah. You know, I'm like, that is that is badass that, you know, that – yeah, it does. It says, you know, I mean, like – like people loved that guy, you know, and and why not? He was a great guy, and so it it was there that I was like, "That's what I want. I want a I want a funeral like that. I don't want people sad. I want them. And when they leave my funeral, I want them going, "Holy shit, that guy was an entertainer, you know. Even dead, he out entertained everybody. So you know, that's I when I leave, I want the world to go." best entertainer you know like like he fought bulls he he clowned he sang he was a stripper he you know was a wrestler wait 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 wait, time out time out time time out you can't just let that one slide by i knew the bullfighter i knew now i know the elvis impersonator the wrestler all that stuff hang on did you just throw stripper into that yeah because i also found out during a podcast that big Vinny may have danced a little bit for money (laughs) Yeah, um, he he did a, like a, I think one show or something. I, I I don't know what his story is fully, but uh, yeah, when I was about thirty four years old, my wife was working for a plastic surgeon here in uh, Arizona, and we were at this uh, bridal fair, you know, to uh, promote the plastic surgeon, you know, so that way, hey, before your wedding, come, you know, make yourself look better, you know, yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. type deal. And I was just there hanging out with her, and I walked around and. There was uh, there was a male review there, you know. They're trying to book, you know, bachelorette parties and stuff. And so I walked by, and the guy was like, "Hey, man, you know, you ever thought about stripping?" And I was like, "Ah, well, yeah, I think you know, I did one once. I, th- you know, I, a lot of guys have done one." And uh, really, because that's news to me. <laughs> so you know, I was like, I was like, yeah, I thought about it, but you know, blah blah. blah. So I go back and I tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, these guys wanted me to be in their male review, and she goes, "Do it," and I'm like do it and she goes yeah she goes when you're home you get bored and you get grumpy when you're not making money she goes so she goes do it and i go you gonna be okay with that and she goes yeah so i walk back over the guy and i go all right i'm interested he goes all right meet me monday he goes we'll give you an audition and you know and so i went and you know basically that day i became one of the u.s male you know dancers and uh i had like a year or two run with them and had you know had a bunch of fun and i mean shoot i was making i was making bank that's doing what, that that's what Vinny said oh, i was making money just rolls a weekend you know because i would do a private party on my way to the show 
and then I would do the show. Then I would hit a private party on my way home, and I would do that, you know, two nights a week. And then sometimes during the week, you know, I'd get a call and I'd do a couple private parties. Like I shoot, I went down and uh, danced. I did a little deal, like a little half hour show at the Phoenix Police Department for some of the girls there. And of course, I walk in in uniform. And dude, I had a real of Ari- course. oh, I had a real Arizona Highway <laughs> Patrol uniform you too. You have to be a cop if yeah. you're going to dance in the police. Oh, dude! It, and what's funny is they thought I was a cop, you know, because my uniform uh, was legitimately an yeah. Arizona Highway Patrol uniform. That when I was, you know, younger, I was doing a lot of the law enforcement rodeos. I was clowning at the law enforcement rodeos, and a guy had retired or something, and so he gave me his uniform. I mean. The belt, everything, you know. The I, I still have his cuffs. Wow. You know, and which, we won't which, talk about. Oh it. no, that's even a funnier story. Oh, God. Years later, I get married. You know, like, <laughs> like, I've got the cuffs and everything. I have them in the uh, nightstand by the bed, and um, we had a cleaning lady that uh, was here. Well, we get home, and the cleaning lady calls, and she doesn't speak a lot of English, you know. So she calls my wife, and she's like, you know you know excuse me you know mrs yates and she's like yeah she's like you know um are you home she's like yeah. and she's like i'd be there she's like what she's like i'd be there she's like okay and you know and my wife you know she worries about everything so right. she's like i think we're getting fired by our cleaning lady you know like <laughs> like and i'm like babe no you know so she comes walking up the walk and we walk out to meet her you know and about then she goes come come and her son is walking up, a 12-year-old kid walking up behind her. And uh, she goes, show, show. And he, like, holds his hand up, and he's got the cuffs hanging oh, from his no. wrist because they couldn't find the key. <laughs> and I just bust up. My wife is laughing, but she's kind of mortified. And, you know, the mom is like, he is stupid, you know. And so I go, hold on, I, I've got the key, and i got to take the key off, so... Yeah, that's that's our handcuff story. Oh, <laughs> uh, you keep talking about your wife. Your wife's a badass. She is a badass. She really is. Le- legitimately badass all the way around. I mean, she is drop dead gorgeous. She is one of the smartest women I have ever met. She has drive. She decided to get into the sport of bodybuilding, figure competition, and all that at 39 years old. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't and know won her first show and just went from there. And, you know, all these people nowadays, if they play second at a local show, they have NPC qualified, national qualified, you know, all this, uh, you know, everybody's a, you know, trainer and Instagram, you know, supermodel and all this. My wife has never put any, she does not brag about her accomplishments mm-hmm. in that sport. She, she would compete at, you know, I hear these people going, yeah, you know, I did a show eight months ago. I think I'm going to have to wait another four months, and then I'm going to do a show. And, you know, it's pretty tough. And I'm like, my wife did six national-level shows a year. You know, she was traveling from here to New York to Chicago to Cleveland to Sacramento. I mean, she worked her butt off. So for three years, she did six shows a year, and pretty much – competition ready for three years you know these people now don't even know what work is and i i'll tell you this we had a good workout today i don't work out with her 
like I'll, I'll go work out with her and, you know, kind of, you do know, train thing. with her and do my thing and her do her thing because right now I'll work out with her because right now she's just having fun doing her thing at the gym, you know, so she kind of does what I do when she's getting ready for a show. Oh no, I do not train. I don't even really like to train near her because she is a beast in the gym. She works so hard and like she does not quit moving. Like if she's doing curls, she will do a set of curls and just, you know, just get the last little rep out she can. Then she'll set them down, not drop them. She'll set them down and she'll start doing plyos jumps over the bench and then she'll sit down and do some crunches and then she'll pick those weights back up and she'll do curls and like she super sets and she i call them super duper sets where she'll do four to five exercises at a time yeah. and just keep going and she'll work out for an hour hour and a half it, it drives me nuts to see people that go in the gym and, and they don't work oh. like why are you here and, and we saw it today. Like, obviously, like my bicep, I told you, I said, anything bicep related, right. I'm, I'm super, and I don't want to say that I'm weak, but You're I'm not, not near as strong as I want to be. Right. But, you know, you said, hey, I did I did 20. I said, well, okay, I'll do 21 on, on the <laughs> tricep deal. Right. Uh, like, it's it's a competition. I don't, right. I don't give a shit who you are. And, it, and it's not a competition against somebody else. Right. You know, unless you're with your buddies like, right. like we were. But... If I go in today, I've got to be better than I was yesterday. And yesterday, I wasn't half-assing it. So people that just go in there, I think, just to take pictures or or say they went to the gym, it just drives me nuts. We went, you know, I didn't go over and, you know, to the Barrett-Jackson auto show with you yesterday because I needed to get my workout in because I had missed the workout the day before, you know, picking this bus up. And... uh, so we went to work out last night and there's a guy on the leg extension machine and he's looking at his phone, mm-hmm. you know, and he looks, you know, his face looks like he's just grinding it out, but he's watching something on his phone or texting or something. His legs are doing about a quarter to a fifth of the extension of the legs, you know, like, and I'm going, why are you even here? Yeah. You know, it's like, you're not doing anything. You're not, you know, your body changes. Like I've watched you yeah. over the last few years and your body's changing. And it's like, right. and I, I saw a post the other day where I was going, God dang, you know, Matt's looking good, you know, like, so you're doing the work and you're, you're changing your diet and you're doing this and you're, you know, and you're, and you're manipulating things and you know, your body building your, right. you know, that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah my body changes you know and you and i both talked about how we'll be really great and everything's getting hard and looking great and then all of a sudden we kind of slack off on the diet or this or you know and or we get on the road and you know and we just get exhausted yeah, get depressed. and yeah we get depressed and so we start getting depressed and our bodies are showing it and, and we they look different but at least our bodies are changing yeah you know it's like they might be getting better they might be getting a little worse but they're but if they're getting I, worse but, I, know I can get better right. again but i watch people in the gym that i have seen in that gym for two years and their body has not changed and it's like and there's a reason for that it's because one you're not doing the work in the gym two you're not eating properly you know so don't tell me you've tried everything because no you didn't i guarantee you you didn't try to work i, I get so sick of these diets well, are you doing this diet? Are you doing... No, I'm trying to eat 
I'm trying to eat foods that are good for my body and cut the shit. Right. I mean, it, it's 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 real simple. It's pretty simple. And and not only that, like yes, I'm trying to eat smart, but I'm also working. I'm not just coming in and sitting here. You no. know, I hate leg day. We we joke oh. about it. But when I finally do decide to do a leg day again, maybe like three or four months from now, I'm going to try to lift every weight in the gym. Well, and I hate leg day, and and my legs show it. (laughs) But I'll tell you what, last year I started loving leg day, you know, because I started kind of changing things up and and doing a light day and then a heavy day. So I started working legs twice a week, you know, but I would do a light day. And, you know, and I would change things and change. And like right now, I'm just I'm going lighter, but I'm changing the way I place my feet. I'm going slower. I'm I'm like really focusing on trying to feel exact parts of the muscle. And I'm starting to see a little change in my legs. And it's like that's what gets exciting. But I I firmly believe that, you know, to go back to bodybuilding, it starts from the ground up. Absolutely. And so much of that natural testosterone is in your legs that it, oh yeah it definitely helps it starts pushing upward yep. and when your legs start getting stronger your legs start getting bigger your arms start getting bigger yep when you're when you're putting in the work i really do believe that well not just that but your libido's better yeah you're you know like and that was one of the things i never understood you know like i knew how to work out i knew you know i knew a lot but i didn't know a lot right you know and that's i think where a lot of people are yeah you know they they know a lot but they don't know anything you know and they don't listen to other people you know i try to help people in a gym you know whether they're really skinny you know like i'm better with the skinny guys because i was a skinny guy so i can go to them and go hey man and see i'm better with fat people keep you know keep keep your head up keep your you know i know it's i know it's a struggle i know you know and and there's people that go well yeah but it's easier to put weight on than it is to take it off and it's like no it's not Mm -mm. it's the same you know for a fat person to take the weight off they have their struggles for a skinny person to put the weight on, it's just as hard. And everybody's body right. is different, and it reacts to things different. Yeah. Just because, like, like, like I said, when I was twenty-two, I weighed two hundred ninety-eight point six pounds or six point eight pounds, whatever it was. I was almost three hundred pounds. Right. My body reacted to things different right. than another person that weighed two hundred ninety-eight oh, yeah. pounds. Uh, guys that are skinny, same thing. Some can start to put on muscle right. different than others. Be- because our bodies react to everything right. different. Well, my wife, you know, she'll train people. Like, I quit training people because I'm not a babysitter. And, uh, you know, my wife, she quit training people because she's not a babysitter. She will train competitors because they have a goal. and they. But some of these young competitors, they don't know anything. You know, the first thing they want is, okay, give me a diet. Yeah. And my wife goes, you send me what you eat the next three days. Mm-hmm. You know, because any trainer that will just hand you a paper with a diet on it, they ain't worth shit. Yep. Because they don't know your body. Yep. They they cannot just look at you and go, "Okay, I know how your body's going to react to these yeah, foods." And this. if they're giving you if they're giving you the same diet that they get, if if somebody gives you the diet that they give me, yep. you know, they're an idiot. They're an idiot yep. because you. One of us is going to look really good. The other one's going to look horrible. Well, it's like people that say, "Well, I'm not. I'm not taking in carbs." Why? 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 Right. Why? And that's my biggest question yeah. is when they say, well, I cut out all my carbs. Okay, why? Yeah. Well, because, you know, I'm trying to lose weight. What are you doing? Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm walking 20 minutes a day every morning. Okay, where the hell are you getting the energy to do that? Because right. if you've gotten rid of your carbs, what's your fat intake look like? You know, it's just like people, 
do something because they hear somebody say something right. about it. Well, and, they, and they don't understand what carbs are. Yeah. You know, like... They think it's the devil. Like, eat, eat vegetables. Yeah. Those are carbs. Yeah. You know, and those are good carbs. You know, and the people go, well, you can't have rice. Yeah, you can. You know, well, you can't have white rice. Yeah, you can. It's like, you know, grains are good. You know, it's the, you know, bread the all well, the processed carbs and, and the, think about what time of the day you're taking it right. in and what you're going to do after you right. take it in i very rarely eat carbs after you know i i normally don't eat them after like eight nine o'clock because i stay up later you know but like if i were going to go to bed at 10 o'clock you know i probably would cut my carbs around five six o'clock and you know like just have my meats and you know and i say cut carbs not cut carbs. I don't have the starchy carbs. I have, you know, the vegetables. Like last night, we had, uh, after we got done working out, I came home and I cooked chicken and broccoli. You know, so we had chicken and broccoli. Guess what? That's a well-balanced meal. I got my carbs. I got my meat. And then I had my whiskey. So, I mean, <laughs> we're all the way around. And we're every good. one of these fad diet protein shakes that come out, read the back. Right. They've all got carbs. Yep. They've all got fats. Like it's 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 part of it. Yeah. You gonna do another show? Another, another bodybuilding show? You know, I don't know if I will just because it's a lot of work mm-hmm. for one minute. Yeah. Like I got ready for this show, and and I wasn't ready. Like I wasn't eating enough. I I wasn't eating enough proteins. I wasn't big enough. Like I did classic physique, which is they measure your height and then you can only be a certain weight at that height what was your weight uh my weight i was down to 213 when i did the show and my weight was allowed to be i think 230 so i mean i was 20 pounds light basically so all the other guys that rolled in there were you know right at the top of their weight so and they had more leg than me and and we knew that that was going to be a problem with me i mean that's why i never did bodybuilding because i don't have calves especially my right calf i tore the achilles tendon in salinas so you know that one's kind of misshapen um and i've just always i've got long skinny legs you know so i knew that would be a problem in bodybuilding for sure i knew it was going to be an issue in classic physique but at least with classic physique it's it's not as, but man, these guys came in with some fucking tree trunks. Yeah. And I was like, ah, damn it. That's you what's know? crazy. You walk into the Mecca out yeah. in Venice. And yeah, the, obviously the first thing you see is like these guys walking around with, with no sleeves or right. cannonballs and traps. Giant and arms. But then you notice how they're walking and then you see why they're walking. It's because they're dragging two Toyota cars yeah. underneath them. They're huge. Yeah, huge. Huge. You know, we were talking about Big Will earlier. Yeah. And I mean, that guy's got some legs, oh, you know. And, and that's, you know, and like I said, I used to tan everybody for the Olympia and for the Arnold. And, you know, I'd be down on my knees, you know, spray tanning them. And I'm just going, holy crap. Yeah. Like, his yeah. leg is as thick as my chest. Yeah. You know, like, you know, I mean, there's some big dudes. You know, Quincy Taylor, six foot four, walks on stage at like 300 and some pounds. You know, it's I always like, look at Kai Green. Oh, Kai, Kai Green is—he's just a box, oh, man. Yeah. He's a box. Yeah, but uh, okay. So we don't know about the bodybuilding, but the music's still going strong. Music's still we going start strong. For yeah, two reasons. I, we've been here for a while. Uh, I got some stuff I got to go do, and I'm about to pee my pants. Okay, so we got to start wrapping um, it up. Well, yeah, music's still going strong. I actually, I'm going to give you the exclusive. 
Yeah. Right now, kind of, kind of. Kind well, <laughs> um, I've got a meeting next Just week. Just tell me. I've got some meeting uh, meeting next week with uh, some potential investors. Awesome. And if that happens, that means I will be out in Nashville soon recording my next album. It'll be a self-promoted album, self or uh, self-made album. All yeah. Butter from Trailer Choir yeah. is going to help me uh, do some producing, and also Bridget Tatum. Uh, she wrote "She's Country" yeah. for Jason Aldean. She's going to help me because she's sent well. me a bunch of songs, and some of the songs I'm going to put on this next album are hers. Um, she she's introduced phenomenal. me to uh, she introduced me to Uncle Cy. Oh yeah, Doug Dynasty the yeah. other day when we was out in Nashville. Yeah. She's an awesome. You know, she's lady. an awesome lady, awesome. and she is. She's the one that I went to when nobody else in Nashville would give me the answers that I needed. Yeah. You know, like they just give me the run around. I finally called while well, I was opening for her at the Hard Rock in Nashville during CMA Fest. And I said, Bridget, I'm at a loss. I don't know what I need to do. And she goes, I'll call you next week and let's talk about it. And she called and she was like, you know, what do you want to do? And I go, well, and she goes, do you want a number one on the billboard? And I go, well, of course. And I go, but I don't have that kind of money. I go, so I'm thinking go after secondary radio, get played all over the country on smaller markets, and then just book myself out. I go, I'm a road dog. I like being on the road. I'll make the fans one show at a time. And she's like, oh, you want a career? And I go, yeah. And she goes, well, then you're right. Do it that way, and this is what it should cost, and this and that. And so uh, she's going to kind of help me out. And uh, but So that's that's one of the exclusives is I'm, I'm hoping that I get these investors, and if so, then we'll get that going. Uh, two... I'm a three-time Ellensburg bullfight champion, and I have been wanting to go up there with my band for years, and I've been bugging them, you know, and last year I started commenting on all their Instagram stuff, you know, when they were, hey, Joe Dippy's coming. I'm like, oh, Hollywood Yates should open. Oh, hey, Joe Dippy's, you know, four weeks out. And I'm Subtle. like, huh, Subtle, Hollywood Yates effective. is still open, you know, like, and uh, I finally yesterday um, got off the phone with Ellensburg and I will be bringing my band to Ellensburg for Labor Day that uh, Monday I'll be playing behind the shoots with my band at Ellensburg Dude, Rodeo that this year. is badass yeah so that I'm excited about it so I'm going to build a three week tour around it yeah go up through Idaho over to Ellensburg and then maybe down through Oregon California to come home people don't realize like like what those arenas like that mean to guys like us like oh First time I walked into Pendleton and got set, just set on the grass yeah. and watched the bull riding as a fan yeah. is still one of the most amazing days in my entire life. Yeah. Just because I was at Pendleton, you know, I we drove through Ellensburg one time right. on our way from point A to point B. Right. We had to drive over just to look at the arena. So I've walked in there and just stood right. in the bleachers and went, "Holy yeah. shit!" Oh yeah, like just to be here so that is so cool yeah and that's and uh you know talking about that kid that won't won't go from texas to idaho for that deal if i don't book another show or two or five to get up there and back i will lose money on that gig and you'll be okay with it but i'm okay with it because you know what i will make fans there and then next year they're going to want me back because i put on a better show than any band they've ever had i guarantee it that's what that's that whole quote unquote red dirt Texas music scene that I saw it in Oklahoma all through college like yeah. Cross Canadian Ragweed even Pat oh, yeah. Green to a, a degree um, Casey Donahue yeah. all of those guys have one thing in common no matter where they went to do a show it was packed oh yeah because they built a fan base and a fan base that was loyal yeah and they will be loyal forever 100%. you know so when these one hit wonders I mean hey don't get me wrong yeah, I wouldn't mind being a one-hit wonder Guaranteed. either. Let me be a Guaranteed. vanilla ice, you know. Yeah. I mean, but Pat Green, 
all those guys you just mentioned, they're going to be playing 10 years from now, 15 years from now, and they're still going to be selling out 1,000, 2,000, 3,000, you know, which... Still going to be having fun. Yeah. They're going to be having fun, and, you know, I mean, Colt Ford's a friend of mine, and I remember when he couldn't get a record deal, and he went out, did his own thing, and then the record label started calling him and going, hey, hey, Colt, man, we should sign you to our label. And he goes, I made $2 million last year, and I got two tour buses, and I didn't have to pay you a dime. Why would I sign with you? Hey, I, I just, all this music talk, it made me think of something Vinny and I were talking about. We got to tell the loser story. Uh, uh, I got to hear yeah. it, because that was the most random night of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you and I rolled into losers. That's uh, you know that's my favorite or it used to used be. Used to be. Used to be. I mean, I, I still like you know going because the owners a buddy of mine. Both of the owners are buddies of mine and everything. And but I mean you know you you never knew. I I think that song "All Naw" by Chris Young yeah. was written about that place because you go you you're gonna go in for a beer or two and leave and you're there at six thirty in the morning. And still. that's his mom's always there too. Yeah. Chris's mom. Yeah. I met her there with uh, DJ Silver oh, one I was, night. I was walking out one night early, 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 1.30 in the morning. I'm leaving. I'm calling it an early night, and I hear, hey, Wolf. And I look <laughs> over, and Toby Keith is standing behind the bar. Yeah. And I'm like, hey, what's up, Toby? And he's like, get back here. And so I get back there, and he and I sat there until 6.30 in the morning drinking whiskey, t- telling stories about the first time we met and all that. But the night that you're talking about, <laughs> yeah, we walked in, and they were closing the place up, and we were like, ah, we're, you know, and, and I remember you were kind of like, oh, well, yeah. I didn't know I was, I was just like, oh, well, it's closed. I guess we're not going in. I'm like, no, nah, we're going in. So we go in and, uh, yeah, there, you know, a bunch of people hanging out, you know, cause it's, it's that bar, you yeah. know, that yeah. certain people are allowed to stay no yeah. matter what. And I walk in and, uh, and what had happened was you had gone to the bathroom. I walked over and Zach Brown and Derek Huff were snapping each other on the arms with wet bar towels. So that's and how it started. That's how it started. So I walked up, you know, and me being Wolf, I walk up and I pulled my shirt up. And I go, go ahead, you know, expecting them to, you know. Right. And I was like, ah, if it cuts me, you know, that's yeah, just cool. Well. That's a cool story, you know. And uh, so Zach goes, no, 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 we're playing Bloody Knuckles. Oh my! So we start playing bloody knuckles, and I hit him a couple times and everything, and then he finally moved, and I, you know, so then he starts, you know, doing it, and I'm not as fast when I'm drunk, and so like I am not, and he's fast, and I'll tell you what, he's got some meat hooks, you know, like he's got these thick ass meat hands, and he is beating the shit out of my hands and my arm, and you know, but you can't weaken because you're wolf. Oh yeah, I'm wolf, damn it, you can't hurt me. So I finally, I just stick my hands out and i go and i just i don't even start moving him and he just starts beating the hell out, and i'm just staring him in the eye <laughs> and he's hitting me and hitting me and hitting me and i ain't moving i'm just staring him in the eye and you know because at this point i know i can't move i can't right. out, i can't outspeed him yeah so i'm just gonna out tough you yeah and you know he's starting to you know shake his hand like god dang you know i mean it, his hand's starting to hurt and somebody's like he he goes all right. He goes, yeah, I, th- I think we're done here. And somebody's no, no, no. You know, keep going, keep going. You know, hurt him. And I look over and I go, you can't hurt me. Oh. And Zach looks down. And he goes, look at your arm. And I look down, dude. My arm was swollen up. My hand was swollen up. Golly. He fractured my wrist. Really? Yeah. And uh, I'm like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Let's go. And he's like, no, I'm done, man. He goes, I love you too much. I'm I'm done. And I go, all right, whatever. I go, you want to have a drink? He goes, yeah, let's drink. 
And so we walked over, and they gave us some ice buckets to put our arms in. I texted him the next day a picture of my hand. It was swollen from yeah. fingertip to elbow God. and black and blue and just it still had the knot where he had kind of fractured the uh, wrist. And uh, he sent me a picture of his arm. It had cuts and scrapes all over it from Jeez. him and Derek. And he goes, God, we're stupid, yeah. aren't we? And I'm like, yeah, but we had fun, didn't we? That picture you're talking about, the, oh, the picture. The picture. I, and I think I'm completely out of Go it. to my Instagram, y'all. <laughs> we're going to post it when we post this Yeah, podcast. go to my Instagram and find it because it's it's a picture of me <laughs> and Zach Brown and Derek Huff at the bar. Zach and I have our arms in ice buckets. And, I mean, we're smiling from ear to ear. And <laughs> Matt West is standing behind us. And his eyes are glowing. Because like, I've been up for two days with up Wolf. Two days, his eyes are glowing. He has this look on his face like he's going to eat somebody. Like, it, he looks like this demented, twisted, like... Stalker. Stalker. I'm looking over everybody's like, shoulder. Yeah, it, it's the greatest picture in the world. I, I love that I try picture. to get out of a picture, and, and all of a sudden, I'm the creepy guy in the background. <laughs> oh. That was that's awesome. so funny. Man, good times, buddy. Good, good times. Good times. Uh, Hollywood Yates on Instagram, is that right? Yeah, Hollywood Yates on Instagram. Uh, you can go to Hollywood Yates Music on Facebook, and you can uh, go to HollywoodYates.com. And you can go to HollywoodYates.com, buy music, buy yep. whatever. You can buy and CDs, T-shirts, and find cool. out where I'm playing. Cool, buddy. I appreciate this, man. It's been a good day. Man, I thank you for coming out. I, man, I had a great workout with you, and I wish you lived here. Yeah, no kidding. Man, I'd be in way better shape. I'd than be I in am. way better shape, man. You drove me. <laughs> It'd be fun. Love you, buddy. Love appreciate you too, it. man. Thanks. Bye.